Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Happy 2022 to all of our listeners and to all of the readers of Little White Lies. We've got some exciting stuff ahead. The new issue is fast approaching, issue 98. Issue 100 is so close we can nearly taste it. But yes, I've had a little preview and whilst I can't give away what it is, I think it's one of the most beautiful covers the team has produced and some absolutely wonderful content inside. So 2023, you've got that to look forward to. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm Caitlin Quinlan. And I'm Ella Kemp. On the show this week, Berlin Festival winner Alcaraz finally comes to cinemas. One of the most horrific crimes of the 20th century is explored in Till. And on Film Club, we revisit an autumn tale. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So it is the first podcast of 2023. I've got a great feeling about this year, and I'm hoping saying that on a recording isn't going to come back and bite me in the ass. <laughs> so for the two of you, you've been on the podcast recently, and I'm assuming that those were highlights of 2022. But aside from that, what were what were some of your your top moments? Well, I had quite an exciting 2022. I was working on a very fun book that came out um, by A24 about films and uh, dance floors in movies and the dance floor in popular culture. So working on that was such a highlight. It's an amazing kind of compendium of all these cultural moments and books and poetry and cinema. And it's such a beautiful text. So that was, yeah, that was a hugely exciting thing for me. And yeah, lots of other great work moments. I mean, I got to interview Claire Denis, which was super exciting, travel to film festivals. You know, it's just such a so many perks of this job it really doesn't ever get old um so yeah super lucky this year or last year now and Ella I know that you got to interview the icon himself Baz Luhrmann that must have been pretty high up there for you in terms of 2022 accomplishments yeah it definitely was I mean he's been my favorite filmmaker for so long and last year was the first year that I got the chance to speak to him and then by the end of the year I got to speak to him twice so that was really good yeah I got to speak to a lot of people who have just been long-term favorites of mine I got to interview Emma Thompson which was amazing I spoke to loads of musicians who I really like uh, lots of film festivals as well I think the top highlight was probably being able to go to Oslo I did a big kind of reported story about the worst person in the world and Joachim Trier's Oslo trilogy and all of that kind of thing and yeah and it's kind of like Caitlin's saying it's there are so many perks and you kind of forget that this is like 
how is the job in in the best possible way yeah good year yeah i remember one of the last times we were on here you we kind of had to we had a hard out because you had to go and cover glastonbury which just felt like <laughs> you know i've seen yeah, normal. with jealousy yeah <laughs> Yeah, that was good. Yeah, good time. More of that in 2023, please. <laughs> uh, and then film-wise, I mean, Little White Lies has just come out with their big list of like the films that we all have to look forward to in 2023. Anything in particular that you guys are desperate to see? Well, all of mine are stuff that I guess I've kind of already seen, but I'm excited for other people to see uh, this year and to have them finally be released, you know, having seen them from festivals over the last year. So a big one for me is the Kelly Reichardt film showing up. I really hope it gets some kind of release in the UK. She's probably my favorite working filmmaker so anything she does I'm very I'm very on board for and I'm also a huge fan of the Alice Diop film Saint Omer which comes out next month I believe and uh, yeah just such a kind of incredibly powerful and she's a wonderful filmmaker so really excited to see her career just grow and grow two two big films for for this year I think oh yeah I'm so with you on Saint Omer weirdly Saint Omer um, I, I saw at Venice and I've just been obsessed with ever since and I can't wait to, to watch it again but when I was going to Venice I convinced myself that poor things the new uh, Lanthimos was going to be there and of course it wasn't but for 2023 <laughs> I'm finally going to get my eyes on one of the weirdest books I've ever read and like one of my favorite filmmakers Ella what about you? I'm going to cheat and I've got two really big ones and one slightly smaller one like Caitlin there's some things I managed to catch last year that I'm looking forward to everyone else seeing in cinemas the first one's women talking which is out in february i believe which is sarah polly's new film and i I just really i'm worried that people won't go and see it because it's like the joke kind of tells itself a bit too easily like women talking i could just stay at home and watch that for two hours um that kind of thing and it's a, it is a very bleak film, but it's just, oh, it just blew me away. I thought it was amazing. Incredible cast. Claire Foy, Rudy Mara, Jesse Buckley, uh, Francis McDormand. But yeah, that is fantastic. And then the other massive film, which I feel like it, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. I just really want to see Barbie. I think it's going to be great. And, and I wasn't sure. And I just think that only Greta Gerwig really could kind of potentially sacrifice her career for something (laughs) like this i hope that's not the case i don't don't think that's what's gonna happen but it might so i'm excited for that this summer and then in the spirit of celebrating independent cinema i'm also excited to see foe which stars paul meskel and saoirse ronan so i heard about this what's foe so foe is garth davis's new film which adapts it adapts a novel by ian reed and i think they they kind of basically filmed it in this remote location like on a farm and i'm pretty sure that paul mesco and Sergio Rona like play this couple i think the third person might be josh o'connor i'm i could be wrong on that but yeah, but Paul and Sasha definitely play a couple and I think it'll be psychological thrillery and very good and very dark and very emotional and all of these things. Unless it's about the Vietnamese soup, Faux does suggest thriller. <laughs> yeah, no, Faux with an F and an E at the end. <laughs> That's the one. Good to know. I have to say as much as I, I do have the healthy dose of uh, Marvel fatigue that virtually all of us that watch this many films have, very excited for the Spider-Verse. Yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> I feel like that doesn't count. Like that's, it's different. Yeah, sure. It, it's it's actually the first film that I took both of my children to see in the cinema. They got nothing out. I think they basically slept. They were kind of children and we've watched about 47 times since. So I'm kind of indoctrinating them into trying to think that your favourite cartoon is not Paw Patrol. It is the Spider-Verse. <laughs> 
hopefully 2023 will help me achieve this uh, rather terrible act of gaslighting that I've been up to. But uh, yeah, we, we should move on to the movies of this week. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to the SETI HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. Alcaraz. Set in Alcaraz in Catalonia, the plot consists of a family rural drama. When the demand to install solar panels in a plot occupied by a peach orchard brings the members of the Sole family into a standoff. So, Caitlin, you were the one that reviewed this for Little White Lies, so people can read some of your thoughts on it. But I'm wondering, this won the Berlin Film Festival. What do you think it was that those audiences saw and, you know, so richly rewarded? Well, I mean, I saw this at, at Berlin last year and I think, to be honest, it's kind of a reflection of the work that Carla Simon, the filmmaker, has done so far as much as, you know, a kind of reflection on this film alone because I think the way it pairs with her previous film, Summer 1993, is incredibly poignant and, and has kind of, you know, created this uh, this set of films that really look at her personal family history and it brings together these ideas of, you know, family, land, agriculture, history, you know, together in these in beautiful ways like when, when you pair the films so I think the the prize for that was was a kind of reflection of how her work has come on and how this film is sort of marking her out as a really exciting new talent. And it's just an incredibly moving film. I think it's easy for audiences to connect with it. There's this kind of central family drama that carries the plot forward and these sort of really lush, beautiful landscapes that are devastatingly gorgeous to look at. But it's not just this sort of idyllic nostalgia for for a time and a place. It's actually a kind of a much deeper interrogation of capitalistic forces on these agricultural spaces and how, you know, the tension between the rural and the kind of modern and, you know, these clashes of industry um, come together and destroy homes and destroy histories and landscapes. So there's a lot going on within this this very beautiful, you know, visual film that I think it's, it's easy to kind of captivate audiences with. Yeah, as much as it does seem very like specific to the this period of time in Catalonia. I mean, in many ways, there's so much cinema that has dealt with this sort of thing, like the magnificent Ambersons, you know, Yusuf Chahin's The Land, this idea of like encroaching modernity, ripping apart the fabric of all that you hold dear. Ella, did you find it equally compelling? I did. I mean, I do think that going into a film directed by Carlos Simon, you have to sort of tempered or or change your expectations a little bit just because I think she makes very restrained cinema I, I do mean that as a compliment but it's more to myself that like when I when I first watched the film I was like oh it's gonna be this big fight between the family and the industrial complex and all of this big kind of uh, I don't know more of like a thriller potential if you will but that's just not the filmmaker she is at all and so it's really interesting that it, you know the stakes are very high and I spoke to her last year about the film and she said that it's always interesting when people mention kind of the term slow cinema to her because she says this one did feel like a thriller to me um whereas when you watch it it is like kind of very it's very calm it's very warm it's very you know it's all set in the rural countryside and all the people who live there are not relaxed but kind of live a slower lifestyle in that kind of way so it's interesting seeing a kind of film that deals with those issues which are like very urgent and it's kind of portrayed in a way that's not that's kind of the furthest from being 
sensationalist that it could ever be, really. And I think she's quite a singular filmmaker to do that, to kind of pair the stripped back style with this really kind of this urgent story, because I feel like most of the time, a lot of the time, if you see filmmakers who kind of want to slow down and take a step back, the story will as well. Whereas here, that's not as much the case, I think. So, well, let's say I did enjoy it, but it's slow and that's a good thing. Did like I always um, love it that when people kind of watch a film, talk to the filmmaker and watch it again, did it seem like a very different film after that conversation you had with her? Yeah, it, it did in a way. I mean, because I think I sometimes get a little bit nervous speaking to filmmakers if I, if I feel like I haven't fully got the full potential out of the film on the first viewing, which I think often just comes down to like my viewing habits and things that I kind of latch onto. But I mean, she speaks about the film so passionately and so clearly. It's not a film that she has left loads of gaps in wanting people to kind of fill in whatever interpretation they want. It's like, it's so, it's so intricate and so clearly mapped out and it's very, very personal but it's also like it is it's extremely political about like what is happening you know in Catalonia but also things that that are happening all over the world all of these rural spaces being transformed and often the people living there and working there not being able to do much about it and I mean she's she's really kind of an expert on kind of rural life in that way and also speaks really well about like how that does impact filmmaking as well like how it's so much harder if you're from a small town and if you don't grow up in a capital city or study or work in a capital in any kind of country it's going to be so much harder for you to make films and make art and kind of tell these stories that like everyone cares about and everyone knows about if you're not from Barcelona or something. Well, I mean, like, even just look at all of this Nepo baby discourse. It's like, not only do you have to be from the place, but you may have to be, like, born into yeah. a dynasty. Yeah, that's not her. <laughs> no, that certainly isn't. Uh, in your review, Caitlin, you brought up kind of, like, the care and the delicacy and the gentleness with which he speaks to the story. Like, do you think that's just, like, a signature of her filmmaking that comes through from summer 1993? I think so, yeah. I think both Summer 1993 and, and Alcaraz, they're sort of semi-autobiographical in, in some way. You know, they're based on her own families and her own her own history and what she's experienced. So I think she does bring this level of, of as you say, delicacy and care to these narratives. She knows them intimately. She knows the people intimately. You know, these are kind of non-professional casts that are taken from these kinds of local villages and, and brought into the film that give it this real sense of authenticity and a kind of gravitas, I think, that that really works with her style of, you know, as Ella says, it's quite slow and restrained. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm definitely a huge fan of that style of filmmaking because I, I love to just kind of sit and, and languor in these spaces and be invited in. And I think that's something that she does really well and, again, speaks to the intimacy that she shares with the people in the landscapes. You know, she really brings you into these films as if you're kind of entering her home. And I think that gives them the, these really kind of special tones and aesthetic and this general sense of sort of softness and beauty, really. But but I think, you know, I think the film is working on a deeper level as well. There's a lot of tension within it. As Ella's saying, it's a very political film, but there's so many parts of it that are kind of on the surface, very idyllic and beautiful, but equally speak to this idea of like oppressive heat or the struggle of labour and the difficulties of working the land and, and being, you know, having done this for decades or centuries or whatever it is. So there's a real kind of layering of these kind of clashes, I think, within the film, how the film's made, like the cinematography and the editing. And there's this bringing together of those tensions and 
beauty, which I think is speaks to the problem at hand um, ultimately as well. So yeah, she's a very welcoming filmmaker, I think, but also aware of those problems that that she's obviously making films about. I think part of the delicacy in her films as well comes from the focus she she gives to children, and I think it's less so in Alcaraz than in Summer of 1993. I mean, Summer of 1993 was told fully, basically from the perspective of a child, and Alcaraz kind of starts that way and made me think that it was going down the same path. But then it's really interesting the way she kind of swaps perspectives between different generations of the same family so you do spend time with the children but then you also like with the teenagers as much as the parents as much as the grandparents and that kind of thing which I think is really interesting to to make that a priority that's not just like a gimmick of one of your films to be like here is a family portrait it's like it's so inherent to who she is as a filmmaker to kind of put the perspective on somebody else and not necessarily somebody from a different world but a different age specifically and for age to play such a huge part in the knowledge you have and the way that it it changes how you look on the world even if you stay in the same place and are doing the same things and I think I don't I don't know many other filmmakers where I've seen that where like family is like put under the spotlight in that way because they are the storytellers Mm. Exactly. I think yeah. her handling of child actors and, and as, as I say, non-professional child actors is kind of impeccable. The, you know, naturalistic performances she's able to draw out of them and the kind of, as I said, like this, bringing them into this world of her film that's clearly their own world. Um, they just pair so beautifully. I think one thing, I guess, to make a criticism of this film, which I think is important to make, and I, I sort of mentioned this in my review, I, I think Carla Simone is very aware, as I was saying, of the problems in this kind of rural environment, but there are these sort of nods to the, the work of black labourers in, in this orchard and how they're kind of struggling to get work on the on on this peach farm and I think I think in that respect she's perhaps kind of glossing over that issue slightly too sweepingly maybe there's not enough of an attention to to that kind of specific story but you know that's not necessarily the story she's telling and I don't think she needs to kind of make a grand statement about that but I think who doesn't know well yeah there is that but I think it's kind of a you know she kind of has a duty of care in this sort of environment and in, in the story she's trying to tell about you know precariousness to yeah perhaps pay greater attention to that element of the narrative because she does bring it in but it's it's such a slight nod that I think it kind of becomes a bit reductive maybe but otherwise I think it's a really careful and considered film yeah yeah I agree I mean you've both mentioned a little bit like this idea of the non-actors who are in this like I mean why do you think that is that these kind of people that are first time on screen can somehow be more natural than like these the you know the seasoned pros it's sort of illogical because you'd think that kind of the people that would feel most at ease would be the people that had done it a thousand times before. But in this and so many other films, like you, they, they actually don't seem to have any of the stiffness that you might see in performance with a big P. I think it often has to do with the environment that a filmmaker can create on set. And also, yeah, the lack of self-consciousness or the blank slate that they are coming to the film with and they don't bring any of these preconceptions about what it is to be an actor or what it is to perform. But yeah, I think specifically with this world that Carla Simon is so focused on sharing and has kind of cinematic work, you know, it's it's a life that they know. It's a it's a it's a world that they're familiar with and that creates a level of comfort and it's a director that knows that world it's not somebody coming in and saying I'm going to make a film about something I have no idea about and putting up these barriers but it's such a welcoming kind of space that I imagine these children just feel comfortable to be themselves and that's basically all they need to do you know it's not about crafting a role or being somebody that they're not Um, I think that's what kind of helps it work so beautifully. Ella before we move on any last thoughts on Alcaraz? 
Uh, I think it's a film that gets better the more you think about it and talk about it and watch it as well, which I think are the best kind of films, like ones that are so deep that you can't necessarily get everything from the first time, which is a good thing. And it's like Caitlin says, it's just fully lived in, which to have that kind of authenticity in fiction, I think is quite a rare thing like to have as much the place and the people and the whole environment and to kind of make you feel what it's like to actually be there like what the weather feels like you know what the things you're eating taste like all of that I think is really really hard to do and I think this film does it well so in that note what are your scores Ella in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect I might go four three four because as I say the more we think about it I was wrong during my viewing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well it takes a big Sorry. person to admit that <laughs> good for you new year new me <laughs> Caitlin what about you uh, I gave this fours across the board um, in my review and I, I think I definitely stick with that I was a big fan of summer 1993 so I was really excited for this film I just wanted to spend more time in in that world and just kind of be with this family and, and experience the the their kind of livelihood and it's the details of the film really for me that make it so beautiful and I go into that a bit more in, in the review but it's definitely stayed with me as something that feels like a really special film and she, I think she's a really special filmmaker so I'm always excited to see what she's going to do yeah, I'm probably at a three, three, four because I, I watched Summer of 1993 after I'd watched this. And I think weirdly watching that sort of made me understand her a bit more as a filmmaker. And then I understood what this film was trying to do a bit better. But yeah, I agree with you. Definitely with hindsight and a, and, and a few brain cells plugged back in, it, it, it definitely landed at a four for me. Layla, were you wrong? I, I so often am, <laughs> you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say intelligence is all about kind of being able to um, change your mind in light of new information. So I, I take pride in my wrongness. Next up, well, a country that should not take pride in how wrong they were for a certain event that happened in 1955. Let's talk about Till. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
1955, after Emmett Till is murdered in a brutal lynching, his mother vows to expose the racism behind the attack while working to have those involved brought to justice. So Ella, I've got very political parents. I spent my whole life knowing the story, knowing the photographs even of um, Emmett Till. Was this a story that you were familiar with before you came to the film? Uh, I mean, I have to be honest, it wasn't like I knew I knew who he was. I knew what happened, but I didn't know many or any details, really. And I do always find with a lot of historical films that are based on true events, if if I don't off the top of my head know everything that happened, I do try to read as little as possible. I know it's not fiction, but you know what I mean? For me, for the film to perform to the best of the film's abilities, I like to kind of start with the film and then do the background afterwards in that order, if that makes sense. So that's what I did with Till and it worked very well for me, I think. It's, I don't know, it's interesting because it's it's a hard watch, but it's less a hard watch than I thought it would be. I It kind of, by the time I came up, by the end of it, I was like, oh, I actually feel like there's a lot of hope in this. There's a lot of power in this. Like the performances are amazing. And, but also just the way it's directed and kind of put together. I'm like, oh, this is like, there's so much more light in this than there could be, or not than there should be, but like there's a lot more light than like other directors would put in this necessarily. So it's kind of... It's very sad, but it's. I felt okay afterwards, if that makes sense. I think. I, I. I think some films that deal with like really horrific historical events, it's. It's just really hard to stomach for obvious reasons. But then the filmmakers like go super, super hard on that, and like in a very kind of gross, sensationalist way. And I think that is very much kind of avoided here, which is good. Like, it's it's, it's it's interesting that you can be kind of very... That you can not shy away from some really kind of graphic, horrific details, but still sort of protect the audience in a way of, of, of being too horribly, like, subject and affected to what happened, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the director, Chinonye Chukwu, has talked about how she had like a very strict rule around this. I mean, she she's an amazing woman. She told me they had therapists on set. They did all of this work. Actors got to say how long that they did scenes for because she didn't want anybody traumatized. But she's particularly spoken about how there is actually no violence against a black body that is shown. We do see Emmett Till's body, which is what his mother's big choice was. I mean, that's what she did. So it wouldn't really honor that decision if we didn't see it. But I don't know, Caitlin, for you, is is there a big distinction between if we don't see violence being enacted, but we are going to see a mutilated corpse of a child? I mean, does, does that make a big difference for you? I think with this story, it's such a, I think it is a case by case situation of course and I think as you said Layla that Mamie Till wanted Emmett's body to be on public display she wanted this to be a kind of a shocking and horrific visual for people to hold on to 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 know what happened to her son and so I think for the film to do that as well is a very powerful thing and I think it's kind of in keeping with the history and it's telling a story that Mamie Till wanted to tell and it and it continues her activism I think in a quite a poetic way obviously it's not nice to look at but you know, what happened to Emmett Till wasn't nice. And so I think there's this kind of reckoning with how do we kind of present history in a way that is factual and bears witness to the shock and the trauma of it, but also that doesn't force, I guess, you know, black people in particular to to have to relive or to, to re-experience the the traumas that have, that have happened to them. So it's a very difficult conversation. And I think it's also a standard that's placed upon black filmmakers that isn't necessarily placed upon others, you know, to have to like strike this balance. I think Shinonye Chukwu does a really good job of it. I think the way that she handles it in this film is 
probably the closest to a good way of handling this kind of problem. Yeah, it's it's tough though. It's not an easy conversation and I think it I think it is a kind of case by case situation but for me it worked in this film because of the kind of historical relevance as I said and like the continuation of this activism it felt poignant in that way yeah for me weirdly one of the most upsetting moments of it all even though I I already knew this to be the case was we get at the credits that the Emmett Till lynching act was passed last year and this is an event that happened in 1955 that really wrecked me i mean i don't know if that's a spoiler spoiler for american politics <laughs> that's just a thing that happened but i mean one of the things i was really impressed with is this is a stunningly beautiful film like there are so many scenes of it it's so well shot yeah gorgeous this is just what really surprised me in a way i just think that that's so often when you're dealing with really hard heavy historical events i feel like for that reason so often a lot of filmmakers think, well, because this was very, like, very traumatic and very bad and very hard, then the film has to look really dour in the same way. And I kind of love when that just, like, isn't the case at all. It's not negating all of the things that we've been discussing, but I, just, I feel like in every situation there's always... Oh, I'm going to sound really trite, but like there's always a little bit of light. But just in this case as well, I just feel like it makes maybe a much more rounded person like in this film, you know, to kind of be able to spotlight how how fucking strong she was and like all, all the different things she fought for and how exemplary she was and how many people looked up to her and all these kind of things. Because I feel like if you fully lean in to like just how horrific everything was and how bad everything felt, then it also kind of diminishes her as well which I think would have been quite a shame it it kind of brought to mind like very different films with very different stories but it brought to mind a little bit if Beale Street could talk Barry Jenkins film just because that film is also so beautifully shot and like it is it is dealing with some really horrific events and like you know immense injustice that black people have faced but it's so gorgeous to look at and it's so romantic yeah, like that's the thing. Like, you know, Bill Street is a kind of romantic love story. But I mean, till you you get so much of the love between, you know, Mamie and her son, Emmett, which like he he has so much personality. Like he's such a massive part of this film. It's not like he was the victim of this horrific crime and like just a name that kind of suffered that basically. Like you you really do get to know him and really understand just how much Mamie loved him, which I think can be a really rare thing in, 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 in films across the board when you're dealing with grief. You kind of only see the person who's left and the person who has to process it and deal with it. But I think it's amazing when you get to see the person they lost as well and you really get to understand that relationship because I think... I mean, something that Mamie talks about a lot and is a big part of this film is just like how isolating grief is and how alone she is made to feel until she makes everyone, you know, look at his body in that way. But beyond looking at his body, the fact that Shinonya Chukwu like takes such great care to show the actual relationship between mother and son is... I mean, it's really beautiful, but it's just... It's, it's so important to, to understand this story beyond just glossing over, you know, these were horrendous things that happened to people that I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's a life that you have to kind of establish in order for a death to be meaningful. And for me, I'm a huge, um, odd thing to say, but I'm a real Medgar Evers fan. I 
fought for months to let my husband name our son Medgar. And in the end, it's his middle name is Medgar. But I think even with, with Emmett Till and also with Medgar Evers, it's very easy to put them down to the way that they died. And oh, isn't it terrible the way that they died? So actually to have a moment in this film for both of those people to have, you know, you see their life source, you see the incredible people that they were when they still existed. I mean, yeah, Caitlin, what do you think in terms of like, we've just talked about naturalistic child performers, but Jalen Hall as Emmett Till, any thoughts? I think he's great. I do think he's he's really good in this film. I think it's a film that definitely wants to centre joy as much as it wants to centre this kind of historical narrative. And it really radiates that light and warmth through so much of the film. And, and he's a massive part of that, I think. His, his smile is so infectious and... He's, he's so cute. He's, yeah, he's just has this real kind of natural charm and this sort of like young I don't know like gentlemanliness or something that that really gives him this presence and I think it's great I think it's such a strong way of as you say giving this person a life beyond the trauma that we know happened to them and I think you know of course Daniel Deadweiler is is also incredible in this obviously not a child actor but I think just you know the the kind of strong performances in in this film is is what made me like it more than I probably I like the kind of performances probably more than I do other elements of the film just because for me it does sort of veer into this kind of Oscar Beatty biopic territory in in its kind of formal and narrative choices which I just find a little bit formulaic at times and a little bit kind of conventional in a way that I I don't think her uh, Chinonye Chukwu's previous film Clemency was I think Clemency is a really brilliant film obviously they're very different in terms of you know production she's kind of working with Universal on this sort of it's a bigger kind of studio film and it's going to have this sort of much wider accessible release so I understand the kind of like behind the scenes workings of why this film looks and, and sort of has the tone that it does but I just don't enjoy that kind of film to be honest but the performances definitely elevate it and I think that also speaks to Chukwu's direction and, and her ability to craft these performances from from actors, which is also on display in Clemency to sort of brilliant effect. Yeah, I mean, it's cer- certainly I'd be very excited to see what she does next. I mean, it is interesting that this was something that they approached her with. She did not particularly in herself have an interest in making an Emmett Till biopic. And then her kind of stipulation was just like, I'm only making this film if I'm making it about Mamie, which... I think really to its strength, that was a very good decision on her part. I have one tiny, like something that really bugs me. I mean, this is this is a, an industry-wide problem that always bugs me. I don't like that the film is called Till. I just think that that's not, like, I don't think it does Mamie any favours. It's just, I don't know. Like, I feel like her whole thing is being herself and like who she is beyond her son's last name. Because she also, like, her name's Bradley, isn't it, as well? It's not fully... It's like Till Bradley. It's, I mean, it's, she has a it was more of just because, names, yeah. yeah, like it's not, that's not her own name. And I understand that obviously, you know, she is fighting for her son and that's just such a massive part, but it does bug me. Look at Janonia Chukwu's two films, like Clemency, I think it's such a brilliant name for a film, which is very, very, very impactful, which is not anyone's name in the film and kind of speaks very powerfully to like the themes and what's happening and kind of, I don't know. It just describes it really well. Whereas Till, I just, I don't know. I just, I just find this a lot with like a lot of massive studio biopics that I think maybe think more of the audience than the film itself, perhaps. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I think there, there is a certain expectation, given particularly in America, this is such a famous story of like this is 
the thing that we've been waiting for and the expectations around it. I know there's been a lot of debate online even about certain ways that what happens in the shop between him and that woman, a lot of that is disputed, you know, and some people were not happy with the way that she interprets the versions of events. But, you know, you, you can't please everyone all of the time. And yeah, there is, I think there was an expectation making this of like, we're going to make a Oscar Beatty biopic. So it's almost like I'm kind of judging it based on, well, what do you do with that brief, I suppose? But yeah, we should get some scores on this before we move on to something less upsetting. Okay, Caitlin, do you want to go first? Sure. I think, I, I mean, I don't, it sounds bad saying that I think this is like a three. I wish I could give a three and a half because for me. You can give a three and a half. I can give a three and a half. Okay, cool. In anticipation, I would give it a four, to be honest, because I, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm three and a half across the board because as I said, I love clemency, but I was aware that, you know, this wasn't necessarily a vehicle, a similar vehicle to clemency. I, I was aware of the kind of limitations that would be possibly placed on, on her as a filmmaker in this kind of structure. So probably a three and a half across the board. I, I enjoyed the film. I, I found it very poignant and very affecting in lots and lots of ways. And I think Layla, as you said, it's an interesting way to frame it. Like what what she's done with the material she's been given, I think is is really strong and powerful. But it does kind of fall into this more sort of formulaic and conventional structure and, and kind of formal devices that I'm just generally less interested in as a kind of film viewer. I think it's it doesn't differ from this biopic style that I'm just a bit sort of tired with. But I think in in how it kind of speaks to Mamie Till's work and her activism and everything that happened, I think there's a lot to really take away from it that I found, yeah, really powerful and moving. Ella, what about you? I kind of agree. I think it might be three and a half across the board. But I think it's for different reasons. I don't know. I think... I think this style of film when it's done well it's my kind of thing I quite like it as in you know I, th- I think you can make a very starry very expensive very Oscar baity thing that actually is good you know I think some things could be bait for a reason you know I, I take the bait like that's, that's <laughs> me it's for me um, so I think that can be good but yeah I mean yeah they're, they're I don't know I just think it's such a hard story to get right to kind of balance all the joy and the light that you want to bring in, but kind of be as historically truthful and respectful and educational as as, as you can be. So that's hard. Yeah, I mean, I know we didn't really talk about it massively, but like Danielle Deadweiler's performances maybe is incredible. But it's also, it's just very, 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 like it's very showy. Like it would be. I mean, it's, it's very kind of, it's very intense emotion that she's dealing with. And I think it's hard to play that level of emotion without ever so occasionally veering into like not hammy hammy is the wrong word but veering into like big big performances which i think can be a little too much if you're striving for that authenticity yeah it's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about with akar as if it's like you know yeah, it is fully. performance with a big p it is moments that you can see that would do very well as like the oscar clip when they kind of show <laughs> when you're nominated yeah it, it, it's a funny one because i feel like none of us have had that many negative things to say about it but i'm with you at this kind of 3.5 level of i can think of many things about it that i admire but i mean if more people know about this story then then, then wonderful but also if this gives uh chinonya chukwu a bigger check and a bit more license with her next project um that would be great because like you both i was i was a huge fan of clemency but yes we should move on to something a lot gentler an autumn tale Magali, a 40-something winemaker and widow, loves her work but feels lonely. Her friends Rosine and Isabel plot to secretly find a husband for Magali. 
So this is kind of film club because a little bit thematically, I suppose, tied to Alcaraz. Caitlin, were you as big a fan of this as you were of Alcaraz? I I actually was, but I am a huge Eric Romer fan. So this was always going to be my kind of film. It's for me, it's actually just incredibly fun because his films are so focused on these funny interpersonal relationships between characters and between humans as, you know, in their essence and these sort of interactions that people have and where they go wrong and where they go right. And and he, I think for me, he does that so well. And they're always so light and, and humorous and they kind of do follow sort of similar formal conventions, but they're always attacking this deeper level of society, which I think is what I find really enjoyable. And for me, this one is so classical. Like it's such a classical kind of rom-com setup that like two friends have both found a man for their friend and are they going to bump into each other at this wedding and is it all going to kind of fall apart and I don't know there's something so kind of joyous about it and just lovely and he's another filmmaker like Carlos Simon where I just want to be in that world I just want to be in the south of France somewhere drinking some wine in like a nice outfit you know like all the the characters in his films just have these again that sort of like idyllic nostalgic quality but that sort of intense interrogating something uh, stronger. So yeah, I was a, I, I'm a big fan of, of his work and I like this one in, in particular. Um, I think it's really fun, yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminded me a bit of an opera, you know, like one of those marriage of Figaro Flademouse things of a lot of kind of mistakes of well-meaning people. But oh, maybe in the end, they'll all still find love. Ella, was that amusing to you or did you want something a bit fresher? Oh, it didn't massively work for me. But I'm fully with you on all of the points you've both made. In theory, I'm like, yes, absolutely. Sign me up. I want another one. But for me, it fully lives and dies on whether I like these people. And I don't mean whether they're likable characters, whether you want to root for them, but whether I think the performances of these people like just have something to give me. And I, I just didn't really gel with any of the actors in this. And I, I do like Eric Homer. I really do. Like, I like the Green Ray I really like Pauline at the Beach. You know, I like the way that these people just like have massive philosophical conversations without changing their tone of voice. And they'll just like be sat around the dinner table and just say like the most insightful or intelligent or scathing or like horrific thing you've ever said, just without flinching at all. I I, I do like that a lot. But for me, it really has to be the kind of right actor to do that who can kind of make it very funny, but very dry and very cutting and just make me want to lean in and do the work to kind of pay attention a bit. Whereas I just, I didn't really gel with many of the performances in this. I'm I'm sure that this is a me problem, but I, I think because, you know, in a way there is so little going on, like stylistically in terms of what's what's being done with the film, all you have is the script and the people who are bringing it to life, really, because it is quite restrained. And I like the script. Like, I'd like to read this. I'd love to read it. I think I think all of his scripts are amazing. And yeah, I do like the setting as well, but I just didn't... I always felt like I was a, at a little bit of a distance. <sighs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Not happy about it. I was I was really looking forward to it. Like, it is, it is definitely my kind of thing on paper. I find myself mostly kind of desperately wanting to move to the south of France, if I'm honest. Yeah, but you don't. It's a trap. (laughs) It's boring. It's a trap. I think I could quite happily live at that slow pace, just in a pair of kind of somehow extremely stylish dungarees in my small winemaking business. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and uh, the occasional suitor might come my way. You know, what a nice way to retire. I agree. <laughs> I, I'm with, I mean, this is definitely not going to be my favourite Roma, but it, it just did seem 
to me to be such a lovely film to watch at the start of the year somehow. Like there was something kind of so gently optimistic that I think it it was part of the reason why I feel that 2023 is going to be a great one. <laughs> because of this film. <laughs> I, I also think it's like a rare example of the friendship, a, a display of friendship between two mothers and mothers talking about how their lives have changed since their children have moved away and like how they're kind of looking for this new lease of life. And I thought it dealt with that really interestingly, especially with the um, with uh, Marie Riviere's character, who's kind of on the borderline of like, I'm happy in my marriage, but I'm actually kind of enjoying this semi-flirtation I'm having with the guy I'm trying to set my best friend up with. Like, I think there's a lot of layers to, to what her character is. I don't know, the webs she's sort of weaving in this film. And I think there's a nice deeper focus on older women friends and how they're balancing life together um, in this kind of small town. Yeah, I mean, I'm normally the anything being described as feel good makes me feel slightly nauseous. So I think kind of this combination of lovely southern France and slightly difficult romances and complex friendships but then a little existential dread that's about the level of feel good that um, actually does ring authentically to me. I, th I think the, the kind of feel good tag is is just interesting to me for kind of Romare's films because I think they're so kind of banal in the same way and I think that's what I like about them they're like I mean people often compare the work of the Korean filmmaker Hong Sang-soo to, to Romare and I, for me what I love about both those filmmakers is the kind of banality and the sort of like celebration of these mundane conversations and this life and this sort of trying to find excitement in these kind of small things and well not even excitement just trying to find anything in, in these small things and being present with other people and talking about life and yeah you know for me it really works as a kind of environment I just like to watch people interact in. So Ella, if this hasn't worked for you, do you have a you, you have an alternative that you'll be watching instead to kind of get some pep in your step for the new year? Oh, oh God. Uh, okay, not pep in my step at all. <laughs> but <laughs> thinking about kind of rural hometowns and very beautiful like landscapes within it. I'm doing a rewatch of Lucas Dont's new film Close which is out in March of this year. He previously directed a film called Girl, which also played at the Cannes Film Festival, which uh, I was not hot on, as a lot of people were not. But Close is amazing. It is... I cannot stress how upsetting it is. Very thoughtfully handled and very well done as a film. But the storyline, Jesus Christ, it's so sad. So yeah, not quite the tonic that I need, but you know, similar. But I think that's great for our listeners. We have two yeah. things. If you want to just great. enjoy Amazing the child performances sunshine. as well. <laughs> Incredible children in this film, in Close, which is out in March via movie. So, but it's, it's sad. It's a sad one. <laughs> Well, this is great for those people that aren't tempted by um, Eric Romare and an autumn tale and sunshine in the south of France and the potential of new love later on in life. You can watch a very bleak thing happen to a child. In why does, sorry, why does it make me sound like I hate movies? Awesome. Please let me come back in 2023. We will let you come back any time you like. We should wrap up for now. So if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at lwlies next week a problematic maestro reigns supreme in tar a robot helper takes a turn in megan and film club revisits all that jazz thanks very much for tuning in and if you enjoyed the show please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts truth and movies is hosted by me Leila latif and my guests this week were ella kemp and caitlin quinlan the podcast is produced by tco london and edited by bob sankus 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 